This morning's reading is from Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, chapter 5, verses 1 to 11, which can be found sorry, on page 184 of the Church Bibles. Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly, as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all orphans of the light and sons of the day, We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. This is the word of the Lord. Well, Heavenly Father, as we gather together in your name this morning and around your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit, he would come and minister to us, help us understand just where these words might help us in our lives. Self-control, we thank you for your love and your grace. Amen. Uh, Well, self-control, we're coming to the end of our little series on the fruit of the Spirit, and uh, we have, of course, looked at, in various ways, uh, the fruit, which I'm not going to ask you to read out to me now, I'm just going to do it, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, all of which are listed as characteristics of God which are available in the spiritual life of what it is for those who call themselves Christians. It's, it's the sort of thing that goes slightly beyond just being nice. And we all know I don't like the word nice. Okay, that's just a horrible word. It doesn't mean anything. But the Christian is supposed to exhibit these characteristics. And self-control is important. So let's get into this last one, uh, self-control. Uh, there's a story that shortly after World War II, London Zoo was very short of animals and started employing actors to take on the roles of various creatures within the zoo uh, and to fill in some of the pens. And one actor took up the role of a chimp. It seemed to be fairly straightforward at the time. And he put on a chimp suit. And after a couple of days, swinging around in his enclosure, hanging off a tire, hanging off a rope, scampering up uh, logs and stuff like that, he got a bit carried away and a bit overconfident and fell over the fence into the next enclosure, which was the lion's. Now, sure enough, the lion didn't know, didn't, this didn't escape the lion's uh, attention at all, and so a lion came over to investigate this new member of the enclosure. 
uh, what were they going to be like? And as the lion drew menacingly close to the actor in the chimp suit, um, he started to get quite nervous and shake. And he was about to scream for help when the lion said, get a grip of yourself, man, or we're both out of a job. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> that's a silly one, isn't it? Oh, really? <laughs> right, how do we control ourselves? We all face daily circumstances, don't we? Which are just, uh, there's an American phrase, which I'm not sure we're allowed to publish, but salt your onions. Uh, we're having onions later at the barbecue. We have not salted those because I understand salting your onions to be something really... And you can help me out on this later. Um, but um, it's really important. You know, there, there are things that just drive us to distraction. And actually, cumulatively, we feel suddenly we can be carrying the weight of the world uh, as we try and square everybody else's circles and, and find ourselves, actually, I can't do this anymore. And that's true for all of us. That's true when we're working, when we've got families, when we've got children out of our... Uh, when our children leave home, when our parents... Uh, my, you know, when they, my parents... Don't, you know, they've got the worst memory in the world. We don't, it's, we don't ask them. We, we, we just sort of say, they stayed over last week. So it's, it's not, have they left anything... It's what have they left? This week, handbag, quite important, Mum. You know, iPad, what were you going to do without it, Dad? You know, those sorts of things. So we, we all do it, and it's just sort of that thing of how am I going to cope and tolerate living with other people because, you know, that's just hard work sometimes. But it's true for all of us, and I'm pretty sure that if we're out of control, uh, we, we impose those things on other people. And so these passages about um, self-control and about the fruit of the Spirit are especially important because if the church is going to mean anything, when the pressure's on, Christians produce light, not heat. That's the important thing, that we produce something other than what the world around us expects. And when we look at this list uh, in Galatians, we find self-control is at the end. And we think, oh, well, that's probably the least important then, don't we? <laughs> Our work on faithfulness and kindness, self-control, that's another day. And there we go, we've lost the battle, and we've lost the, we've lost the opportunity. And yet, actually, when you look at that list, how many of those qualities and characteristics are possible without self-control? Is it actually possible to be kind to somebody who's really winding you up without a degree of self-control? Is it possible to love somebody who is really just, you know, what are you doing without a sense of self-control? So it is significant and important and what does actually, what does joy look like without a sense of self-control? Do we just explode and go mad? Or do we just contain and, and emanate the love of God in our lives? So it's interesting that it's at the end. It's also a tendency amongst Bible commentators to sort of uh, link it almost immediately with um, sexual immorality because of the sexual nature of some of the... Um, um, content earlier on in the list of lusts of the, of the flesh in the letter to Galatians. And it also talks about, well, it's about urges and about immorality. And, and actually, there's probably an element of truth in that, that the word enkratia uh, was certainly about being sort of a master of who you are and, 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 and that sort of thing. And perhaps there was a group of liberal Christians within Galatian church that were causing you know, people to have to rethink their ethics about how they behaved and what they did. And in which case, if I was just going to focus on that context for self-control, we'd probably ask these questions. I'm going to ask them anyway. Um, what do you watch or read when you're on your own? 
It's always a good question, isn't it? What do you do when you find someone at work attractive? It's a more difficult one, isn't it? I remember when we were having our marriage preparation, and the curate who was overseeing our marriage preparation said, so Matt, what were you going to do when you fancy somebody else at work? God loves... <laughs> what? <laughs> that wasn't going to happen. And then last one, so sorts of things. If God loves me, surely anything I do is okay anyway. And that's a thought that's actually quite common in modern thinking about the church. But we're not going to think about that entirely. We're going to focus and go a little bit deeper because self-control was a highly prized quality. It was something that was recognized in people as a good thing. It was a virtue. Plato described it as a man being his own master, not swayed by things, not, not on, on sure ground, not likely to give or, or fall apart. And that, that, that thinking applies to more areas of our lives than just sexual morality. So we ought to be thinking about linking self-control with faith, hope, and love, as Paul has in this passage in Thessalonians 5. He talks about the three being together, but they're really, really important. So let's, in, be in, let's, let's keep it focused. It's about our whole Christian life. And I want to say just a couple of things about self-control then. Uh, the first is how it uh, helps our situation. So I was going to skip one. There we go. Dealing with tricky situations. It helps our situations. Or it helps us in our situations. Doesn't it? The morning, this reading from Galatians is about a church with a lot of nervous people. And, and it's a fascinating story. The Thessalonian story is fascinating. First of all, they thought Jesus was coming so soon that a lot of them quit their jobs to be ready, super ready, when Jesus appeared. Okay? That's, that's one thing they did. And then, when he didn't come and people started dying, they started getting upset that people were dying. And they thought that Jesus wasn't going to come at all. Then, they were in a culture where, whose ethics on all areas of behavior were really different from their own. And we've been looking at that sort of thing in the Revelation series in the evenings. And the people had also started saying that Paul was a bit of a nutcase and didn't really know what he was on about, trying to get them back into the Jewish faith rather than the Christian faith that uh, Paul had brought to them personally. And they'd said basically that Paul was not that good. And then when they started getting super nervous, they said, well, when is Jesus returning? And they turned to Paul and he said, I don't know. Now, that might all sound far off and, imagine, and, and difficult, but think about those themes. They're living with uncertainty, high expectations, failure, disappointment, poor reputation, and no direction. How many of you here have ever had to deal with that on a Monday morning, let alone by Friday? Yeah, we live in a world where those sorts of things shape, shape us, or they can shape us if we allow them to. And instead of fear which is where they were, instead of fear, which is where they were and how they were responding to things, Paul reminds them of this lovely, uh, this lovely verse 9. God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through Christ our Lord. He didn't get involved in their lives just to watch them get it wrong, without any hope or without any opportunity for, for some kind of redemption. He got involved with them 
so that they might come to know his salvation. And this is really important because in uncertain times, when we're dealing with, or uncertain incidents, when we're dealing with these sorts of threatening things, when we're dealing with uncertainty or disappointment or, or our reputation being on the line, we tend to respond out of fear and our ability to remember everything that God has got and done for us and everything that God has yet to do for us is, is, is gone. It's like we forget it. And it's, and it's devastating and it's damaging. It's damaging for us because we forget what God has done and it's damaging. It's usually damaging for the people around us because we then respond, not in a godly way, but in a way that actually brings love, joy, peace, kindness, faithfulness to the situation. Jesus called us to be salt and light. And that's important. So we lose perspective. And then Paul reminds them of this perspective. We don't belong to the night or the darkness. Look at that in verse 5. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. You don't belong to the night. It's not part of who we are. It's not our fabric. It's a lovely, I mean, I've been trying to do this for years, but I've managed to finally get Yoda into a sermon. And this is lovely phrase. It's a lovely film from Star Wars Episode Four, A New Hope, which is a good idea, isn't it? Uh, but luminous beings are we, not this crude matter. Have we not ever thought that God in living in us is a good thing? The jury's out. But, but, but God has chosen to make himself resident in us. That changes who we are. And Jesus called us to be light of the world. And we don't do it in our own strength because he is the light of the world. So there's a, there's a relationship there where he's prepared to be part of who we are. And he's called us because of that. Sons of the light. Sons of the day. And in the darkness, the things that bring wrath, the things that lead us to judgment, the things that lead us into, self into destruction and self-destruction are, 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 the, are the lies that God isn't reliable, that God isn't interested, that he can't be trusted, that he didn't do this out of grace, that somehow I earned God's love and now I've unearned it. But the truth of the gospel is we did nothing to deserve his love or his grace. He's come to us anyway. We didn't earn it, so it can't be taken from us. And that's really important. And that's really helpful because the darkness isn't a good place. The darkness is where the difficult stuff does happen. The darkness is where we need to mind, we find ourselves compensating, drink or whatever we watch or read or, 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 or we rely upon. We build a world in which we're okay and we blame others. We lose perspective, and we're in the darkness, not in the light anymore. And that's, that's a, dif, dif, a difficult and desperate place to be. Because how could God love me when I'm there? How can God love me when I'm like this? And that's really tough. It's not the truth, but it's the story that we write when we lose sight of what God wants to do for us. God has done for us. We've all got um, people that we look up to, heroes of faith, if we like. A couple of weeks ago, David read through the heroes of faith in Hebrews 11. Um, but, and it might be that you've got your own contemporary heroes or, 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 or others. Um, Jim Elliot or Corrie ten Boom or C.S. Lewis, people who really encapsulate what Christian life could be. 
for me, I was, a, friend of me, a friend was asking me this last week, for me, Christianity was distilled into this picture for me uh, about 10 years ago when I went to India. And I went to Madurai in the Tamil Nadu area. And I, I was taken to visit this hospice. And this, these women were brought to me. And this one particular little Indian woman uh, was uh, there. And she was untouchable, which in Indian caste society means nobody will have anything to do with you. Okay, except this poor untouchable woman had been made a prostitute. And this poor untouchable woman had HIV and was dying of AIDS. I can't think of a more miserable place to be, actually. A slum hospice with no hope, difficult life of abuse, illness, and despair. It's about the most difficult place I've ever been to in my life. And I know people here have been to more difficult places. But for me, this woman encapsulated what Christianity could be. Because she didn't sit there moaning. She'd made things so that we could share. She said things like, God be with you. Jesus loves you. She smiled, and it just seemed out of place. And you knew that whatever happened, there was no way on earth, tiny little woman, that I was ever going to shift her from that position. You just sensed that God was there, and that was it. And all things were falling down around her. But she knew she was safe. And I think that's really important for us to hold on to. And sometimes we have to travel to uncomfortable places to find amazing things that help us here. But it was important. Here was somebody who had kept perspective. Her circumstances didn't crush her. She wasn't going to allow the darkness to crowd her in, into her life. She had kept firm. Look at that in verse 8. It talks about self-control, having faith and love as a breastplate and hope as a helmet, of salvation as a helmet. She was completely secure. Now, understand. And that enabled her to have the control because when we self-control is about understanding these circumstances and then remembering that God is good. And then remembering that he's on my side. And then remembering that he's paid for me to be with him in heaven forever. That's the important stuff. The stuff that we deal with on a day-to-day, -day, the stuff that gets us, the stuff that drags us down, that's not important. It's that stuff isn't getting into heaven. That stuff doesn't have to be part of who we are. And that's important. God has sealed the Holy Spirit into you as a sign that you are heading to be with him. The very essence of, you are, of who you are is uniquely bound into his life as well. His life and your life are entangled in ways that can never be undone. And in every aspect of who we are. And if we can deal with our circumstances by remembering that God is good with us, it can help us in our relationships. Look at how Paul encourages the church in Thessalonica to remember this stuff. Right? The darkness, don't let that. In your people of light. And this is what it should look like. Verse 11, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Look, verse 10 before it, he died for us, so that whether we're awake or asleep, we may live together with him. 
He's talking about who they are as a people and the distinctives that in the world is important, opposed to, and he was encouraging them to, and they were already learning that it was important to encourage one another and build each other up. And that's the Christian response self in self-control. I can see the circumstances, but they're not going to shake me. And if they can't shake me because God is in me, then the people around me can experience something of God. It can change the way we treat people. He, and it changed because of the way he treats us. Because we're supposed to authentically represent God in our relationships. And that's what people see. They don't see the inner turmoil. They see how we treat one another. And it's difficult. Because every day, because we're people, we bump into stuff. We have colleagues. If you're in, if you're in school, you have children to deal with. So on, uh, I, I do some mentoring on, on Tuesday this week. One of, the, one of the children I was there to help just walked out of the room. What are you doing? <laughs> you know, and all of the follow-up that goes with that. But you think, okay, we're dealing with people. They're unpredictable. And they've got stuff going on too, which they may not be able to control or work with. But actually, the response is what the response to those things tells us a lot about how much God is doing in our lives. And too often, too often, um, a friend of a dear old friend of ours uh, says the church is the only organisation that shoots its wounded. What a terrible phrase! Too often we sort of respond in the way the world would. Too often we say, "Well, they deserve it," and we did. We looked at that with Jonah, didn't we, last year? But we want to think, actually, what does God do with us? How is God treating us? How does God dealt with us? I read from Psalm 103 at the start of this service. Verse 10 says he doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. Normally, and, and, and our, our initial reaction, our fleshly reaction, which is the distinction between spiritual fruit and who we really, who we can sometimes be, is to, um, is to jump onto the bandwagon and say, I'm going to give people a piece of my mind. They're going to cop it. They're going to, I'm going to tell them, I'm going to think of all the verses in the Bible which prove they're wrong. Now, I don't know about your piece of your mind, but nobody's offered to sell it in a, a piece of my mind in a shop. You can't buy it. I can't even give it away, frankly. And it's not the most helpful thing in most situations. Self-control enables us to treat people as God treats us. We remember... Instead of choosing to respond as we would, we choose to respond as God would because of the way that God has dealt with us. Self down, we need to remind ourselves of God's self-control. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. There's a step. When we saw Jesus walking with his disciples, I'm pretty sure they wound him up. But we don't see him losing it. We don't see him throwing them out. We don't see him walking away in a huff, I think. Pretty sure. What we do see is somebody who takes the mistakes that they've made and says, right, let's rethink this. Or you, you got that bit wrong. And yeah, okay, he was tough with them. But he never gave up on them. And that's the nature of God towards us. Once he's entered into a relationship with us, he keeps going more than we do. He's more interested sometimes in getting us into heaven than we are. Have you ever thought about that? He's more determined than we are. 
to bring us home. And that that's, that's tells a lot about who we are. But when we start to think about God's self-control towards us, the way he chose to treat us, then we just start to discover his love, his joy, because he sees you coming to life, his peace, because he, we know that we have a relationship with him and he, he grants us that's, that kind of inner peace of his patience. That's helpful. I know that God loves me. We find his patience because we don't get it right all the time. We find his faithfulness because he doesn't quit on us. We find his kindness, even if it's a blooming parking space in a car park. We find his kindness towards us. We find his goodness towards us, where he steps in and does these surprising things that we didn't expect or deserve. And we find his gentleness. So our relationship, when when we choose to think about how God treats us, we open ourselves to this way of life in which other people can see God's character in us. The fruit of the Spirit takes shape in us when, whatever it is, when we choose to respond the way God would to us. And it's not a hard written rule every time. Think about the different ways that Jesus healed people from blindness. One person had a hand laid on his eyes, one person was just spoken to, somebody else got mud in their eye. You know, it's different each time. But it's the openness and the willingness to work with God to help us. Plato talked about being the master of your own person, being your own master. What we actually do when we become a Christian is we invite our master into our lives. And he was really good at life. He he handled it really well. And we want to be like him. That's what Christian means. So if we want to grow in the fruit of the Spirit, perhaps we ought to look at what God has done for us and ask for more. Because there isn't a limit. There's just all of our yeses in Jesus. So I'm going to ask you to bow your head. And if you want to, just uh, listen to a prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you treat us not as we deserve. And we pray for each of our brothers and sisters in this building right now and those in the center. And Father, we don't know them as well as we all. We pray that you would live in us in such a way that the fruit of your Holy Spirit would be alive and colorful and rich and beautiful in our lives. May we face tomorrow with conviction and certainty. May we be reminded of your abiding presence with us. And may we never give up, never lose hope, and always choose you. Amen. I think we're going to play something, aren't we? I've lost the plot.